It's midday, and so that's what we named our information block here in the middle of the day on the Rural Radio Network. It is midday on the Rural Radio Network with information for you from just about all points of the globe and just about every kind of topic you can imagine. And we have the ag team spread out all over creation today, and here's Clay Patton to tell us about it. Well, Susan wanted to be here on midday, but unfortunately she's sitting behind a cultivator driving at about 20 miles an hour. (laughs) Well, the work's got to be done, you know. Exactly, and she is proving, you know, when you're following farm equipment, always be safe, so no technology, no phones. She safely pulled over, called me, and was still able to catch back up to the cultivator in no time. And that also tells us we're not Coca-Cola cowboys around here. She's the real deal. She's the real deal, and that's why we're glad to have her as our farm director. So, a quick rundown of our midday from the YAG team at 1219. Shaley Peters is talking with BASF's technical service advisor, Brady Kapler, and he's talking about herbicide options on soybeans. Of course, we've got a little over 80% of the soybean crop in the ground in Nebraska, so now what are our herbicide options there? And then Chad Moyer is on at 1245 as well as at 117. He is at the World Pork Expo in Iowa, and he's going to be talking with National Pork Producer President as well as the National Pork Producer CEO and bringing us the latest from that. All right. Thanks very much, Clay. Appreciate it. And over to Jason Jorgensen we go. Must win Game 3 tonight for LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers as the NBA Finals will continue. They are down 2-0. I would say even though they've dropped the last two, the, the series is far from over. Really? Just this is my take. they got a lot of comeback in them. Huh? Well, I just think uh, we'll see Cleveland probably win tonight. LeBron will do what he needs to do. Uh-huh. And if not, ESPN will make a bunch of excuses for him on why they didn't win. So <laughs> that's not usually, it's not LeBron's fault. It's never LeBron's fault. It's his teammates' fault. Yeah. Although it was his teammates' fault in game one. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, Nebraska head coach Scott Frost continues to kind of uh, shake the bushes and uh, shake the trees a little bit, looking for more talent as he tries to turn around things in Lincoln. He signed a junior college cornerback this week. We will tell you more about him. Major League Baseball draft is going on. Scott Schreiber was picked yesterday, and uh, we'll get his thoughts on going in the ninth round to the Astros. All right. What do you think about that? It's good for him. You know, he'd been a 26 pick last year, and sometimes you have to decide is that is that money good enough or can I come back and have a better year in college? And for him, he went from a 26th round draft pick to a ninth round draft pick, which means if he chooses to, uh, he'll be driving around in a much better car. Yeah. <laughs> There's a big difference in those rounds. Got to have a better, better agent, too, <laughs> yes. I should think. Yeah. yeah, so he had a he had a great Husker career. In a bad year, he was certainly one of the uh, bright spots for the Big Red. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of agents, let's find out what uh, Bob Brogan's agent has allowed him to say today on business. U.S. stocks are hitting it out of the park right now, rising for the fourth day in a row as banks rise in tandem with interest rates. We're watching that closely. Also, uh, U.S. productivity grew at a pretty good rate in the first quarter. The European Union says it will start imposing some duties on a list of U.S. products later this year in response to President Donald Trump's decision to slap tariffs on steel and aluminum. Also, uh, an $18 million grant awarded for the Heartland Expressway in the Panhandle. That certainly is some pretty interesting news for the state's uh, economy out there. Yeah, a long time coming. Well, it's always about show me the money in business, and we're ready to show you midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Paul Perkins steps in with a look at our regional ag weather. It looks like uh, the haves versus the have-nots as sunshine it goes is uh, pretty distinct today. Definitely. We have uh, quite a bit of cloud cover from northeast Nebraska into portions of south-central Nebraska right along I-80, basically from about Gothenburg to Grand Island, then from about Oberlin on over to about Smith Center in north-central Kansas. A fair amount of clouds. Also a little bit of sprinkles over south-central Nebraska from about Elwood, Bertrand, and Holdridge points to the south to about Alma. Also a little bit of light rain towards Broken Bow and Ocano and also towards Ravenna, Gibbon, and Kearney. But otherwise, some sunshine to really warm it up in western and eastern areas. Yep, and your ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. This is going to be kind of the warm before the storm, isn't it? Yes, so it could get uh, severe once again for some uh, strong thunderstorms for today across the area. Right now, we're warming up to temperatures in the mid to upper 80s, where we're seeing a fair amount of sunshine underneath that cloud cover. Temperatures right around 80. Temperatures as warm as 90 already in northeast Colorado towards Ray, Colorado, and Colby, Kansas. And also, once again, some mid to upper 80s in eastern Nebraska and also towards west central Nebraska. Another hot afternoon expected once these clouds break. That's just ahead of a cold front that should bring us some widespread thunderstorms this evening and in the overnight. Temperatures climbing well into the 90s. That is about 15 degrees above the norm for this time of year. Those spiking temperatures will increase the instability and help to build that for some severe thunderstorms. The Storm Prediction Center placing our region in a slight risk for severe storms. Could see wind gusts to 60 and half dollar size hail. Those are the main concerns. Rain totals of an inch or greater are possible with some heavier storms. Now, due to this front expected to arrive a little bit later on tonight, those storms will likely start in the mid to late evening. Then that severe threat will diminish in the overnight. More strong to severe thunderstorms are a possibility late tomorrow and again late on Friday as that front lingers. Looks like our better chances will be tomorrow evening into the overnight. Warmer than normal temperatures and mostly dry weather will return this weekend through Monday as the ridge of high pressure builds to the west. Any thunderstorms that develop will be on a very scattered basis. Some low pressure swings through the northern plains for Tuesday and that will return our temperatures to more seasonal levels. For the long term, the temperatures expected to stay warmer than normal for the most part Monday through June 19th in Nebraska and Kansas. Despite those warm conditions, the forecast expecting near normal to above normal rainfall in Nebraska and Kansas Monday through the 19th. The month of May, the warmest on record nationally. The average temperature in the U.S. was 65.4 degrees. That broke the old record of 64.7 in 1934. That's not, of course, a year you want to really break any records with since that was back in the Dust Bowl era. It was especially warm at night with overnight lows on average of 52.5. That broke the old record by 2 degrees. April, unusually cool because the jet stream brought polar air to the south. Then it moved out of that pattern last month. Tropical storm Alberto in the eastern U.S. and dry weather in the west also allowed those temperatures to heat up last month. Weather factors affecting market trade include a significant rain prospect for the Midwest and confirmation of drier conditions in the Black Sea region. An important round of rain will form in the Midwest this upcoming weekend with moderate to locally heavy amounts. The amounts will be heaviest in the northern Midwest. Western and central areas of the Midwest will receive moderate to locally heavy totals. The rain will be key for some robust early season crop conditions due to warmer than normal temperatures forcing the crops to tap into soil moisture reserves at an early point in the season. Frequent showers and a more variable 
Temperature pattern will favor the filling of winter wheat and developing row crops in southern Nebraska and northern Kansas. Farther south, though, that hotter, hotter weather and less rain will maintain less uh, maintain the stress on late filling wheat and also developing summer crops from southeast Colorado and southern Kansas and points to the south. Globally, dryness is becoming an increasing concern in the Black Sea region of Ukraine into central and southern Russia for filling winter wheat and early developing corn. Rainfall has averaged below 50% of normal the past 60 days for parts of that region. The rain chances the next week to 10 days will remain fairly limited with episodes of warm weather but nothing that looks overly hot. Regional Ag Weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Looks like a large portion of us need to be at least alert for the possibility of some, what, particularly heavy rain, right? Exactly, and of course, maybe some large hail and damaging winds. Those are the main threats, and yeah, if we do see some storms that get rather heavy, maybe some rain totals upwards of an inch like we have been seeing some frequent storms dropping some good rains lately. All We've right. been fortunate, at least, for that. Yeah, absolutely. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. More frustration expressed with the EPA. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a quick check of Ag News here. Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa expressed deep frustration Tuesday regarding the Environmental Protection Agency under President Donald Trump. Speaking of EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, Ernst told an energy symposium in Washington, D.C. If the president wants to drain the swamp, he needs to take a look at his own cabinet. Pruitt has been a target of biofuel states after granting hardship waivers to many refineries under the renewable fuel standard, decreasing the amount of ethanol-based biofuels by more than 1 billion gallons. The renewable volume obligation for the current year was set by Congress at 15 billion gallons. Opus Biofuels points out that Pruitt is putting it in writing that he would support the RFS, but has not done so. Meanwhile, a proposal to allow year-round E15 sales along with allowing renewable identification numbers or biofuels credits known as RINs to be exported was apparently rejected or at least delayed by President Trump Tuesday evening. Another rumored change would allow for hardship waivers but reallocate the displaced volume of the final RVO issue each year by the EPA. And some North Carolina agriculture leaders say drinks made from soy and almonds aren't truly milk coming from lactating animals and should be marketed on the state's store shelves as something else. The General Assembly's annual farm bill unveiled Tuesday in a Senate committee would direct the state to develop a plan to enforce federal and state standards by January and prohibit sales of plant-based drinks mislabeled as milk. Agriculture Commissioner Steve Troxler told senators most of the world's countries ban the milk label for plant-derived drinks, saying it otherwise confuses consumers. Troxler said the provision could also help state dairy farmers who are struggling financially. The bill contains several other agriculture-related items. Two committees approved the measure Tuesday. It must go through others before reaching the Senate floor. And Republicans appear poised to select their nominee for Iowa Agriculture Secretary at a party convention. In unofficial results from Tuesday's primary election, Mike Nag stands 233 votes short of reaching a 35% threshold to secure the nomination. That tally could change as provisional and absentee ballots are counted. However, Nag says Wednesday his campaign's focus is on state convention set for June 16th in Des Moines. Nag has served in the position since March after the departure of longtime Agriculture Secretary Bill Northey, who took a job at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Nag faces four Republican challengers 
Senators. State Senator Dan Zumba finishes, finished second with about 21% of the vote. The Republican nominee faces Democrat Tim Gannon, a former USDA official who was unopposed in the primary. And farmers showed more optimism in the latest Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. The May survey reading was 141, 16 points higher than April and the highest since January of last year. A rating below 100 is negative, while a rating above 100 indicates positive sentiment regarding the agriculture industry. The, the rise in the barometer, a sentiment index derived from a monthly survey of 400 farmers across the U.S., was driven both by producers' improved view of current conditions and especially their more optimistic view of the future. The index of current conditions rose to 132 during May, nine points higher than in April, while the index of future expectations climbed to a reading of 145, 19 points higher than a month earlier. Organizers say relaxation in trade tensions between U.S. and China could account for some of the increase in optimism about the U.S. ag economy. And that's a quick look at your midday ag news. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with BASF. I'm Shaylee Peters, and we visit this week with our technical service representative, Brady Kapler. Brady, we visited with you last week about uh, some corn uh, herbicide application this week. We're going to talk about soybeans, and we did preview it a little bit last week, but jump into some of the things we're looking at. I know just in visiting ahead of time, these beans are really off to the races, and so definitely something uh, producers are wanting to get uh, taken care of now. Absolutely. The soybeans uh, really have taken off here as we've gotten some heat, we've gotten some rainfall in some areas, and so we're seeing um, those beans really grow and start to put on trifoliates at a fairly rapid rate. And so, uh, you know, we're we're looking at now is the time in a lot of cases to go. Um, guys who've already put down a pre need to be coming in thinking about refreshing that um, with not only some post-weed control if they're breaking, but also adding some residual control. And so, you know, we may be looking at our glyphosate applications, we may be looking at our dicamba applications, but we need to be thinking about what can we can do in the case of adding residual to that because when we're dealing with these target control weeds, that's going to be one of the things that's really going to be important. Well, and you nailed it on the head there, these hard to control weeds, you know, along with the corn and soybeans really taking off and getting after it this growing season, even with a late start, the weeds are right there beside them. Oh, yeah. We, with this temperatures that we have, we've seen some amazing emergence patterns here and some amazing size on some weeds. I was uh, looking at the picture this morning. Somebody sent me up some Palmer amaranth that's already probably 9, 10 inches tall. Um, and I've seen even taller uh, on some other social media posts. So it, it's amazing how quickly this stuff is growing. It loves the heat. Uh, you know, we like Palmer and and uh, the, our water hemp weeds. They love the heat, and so they're going to drive, and they're going to move very quickly. So we've got to try to keep ahead of those at all possible. If our residual's been holding, that's great, but we also need to make sure we're adding more residual to that. Um, and, you know, like we said, if that's the form of residual or outlook, um, or, and, you know, we need to be getting good control with our um, post-emergence applications as well. And along with this, I know a lot of producers, it's kind of just built in with what they do, but also keeping in mind stewardship with this. Oh, absolutely. You know, anytime we're doing any applications, we need to be smart about how we're applying those things and, and how we're going about it. And so we want to be managing uh, the hard-to-control weeds properly. We want to be watching out for resistance, but we also want to make sure we're keeping these things on target. And so we need to make sure that we're taking all the steps, you know, with our DT products, our Dicamba products, um, so like Ingenia, 
those all have strict guidelines as far as how we're supposed to apply them, and so we need to be very adamant about that. And, you know, we also have to visit websites uh, to check and see um, what their possible tank fix partners can be and everything else like that. And so we have to definitely be on top of the game when it comes to stewardship with this. We're using the right nozzles, the right boom heights, the right data spray, and knowing what's around us as well. And there's a lot of education available when it comes to this. I know, of course, DICAM has been in the news, and so the resources available are everywhere. Producers just need to have, you know, take the time to access them. That's exactly right. I mean, one of the new things we have is ingeniouspraytool.com that helps us work with the weather and forecasting that. And so that's one example. But, you know, there's also Ingenious Tank Mix to guide us on those uh, as far as possible tank mix partners that we have for these products. All right. Thanks so much. It's BASF Technical Service Representative Brady Kapler visiting with us this week as we continue with the growing season, taking a look at soybeans. You can tune in every Wednesday right here for our check-in with BASF. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska baseball, Scott Shriver was drafted yesterday in the ninth round by the Houston Astros. It's the second straight year the Astros have drafted Husker as they took Jake Myers in the 13th round a year ago. After a big season, Shriver likes the fact that he's now headed south to Texas. I was really excited. Um, not only do I get to play the game that I love and be able to fulfill a dream by playing Major League Baseball, but I also know that the Astros have a really good organization that does a really good job of developing hitters, so I'm just really happy to see what see what they have to say and see what things I can work on and improve on. Shriver was a guest last night on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Now, if you remember, he was drafted in the 26th round by Tampa Bay a year ago, but chose to come back to Nebraska for his senior season, and that certainly worked out for him. Husker head football coach Scott Frost continues to search for talent in the junior college ranks. Yesterday, cornerback Will Jackson announced he's headed to NU this fall and will be eligible to play. He comes out of Mesa Community College in Arizona after originally committing to Kentucky back in February of 2015. He stands about 6'3", 190 pounds, and is the second junior college addition in as many weeks to the Husker program. Just late last week, the Huskers received a commitment from offensive lineman Desmond Bland, who played at Arizona Western. K-State season opener against South Dakota on Saturday, September 1st. will kick off at 6-10, and that will be televised by ESPN3. K-State officials made that announcement today. It is the seventh time in the last eight years that the Wildcats' home opener will be a night kickoff. And the Wildcats and Coyotes are meeting for the fifth time in series history with K-State holding a 4-0 advantage. Kansas State earned a 34-0 shutout in their 2015 season opener. They've also won home meetings against South Dakota in 1980, 81, and 1982. And for LeBron James, losing is no longer an option. With Cleveland down 2-0 to Golden State in the NBA Finals, James knows better than anyone that he and the Cavs are facing a must-win situation tonight in Game 3 at Quicken Loans Arena. No team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit to win a playoff series. James acknowledged the Cavs are facing a tall task against the Warriors, who are looking for their second straight NBA title and third in the last four years. And in tennis, top-ranked Simona Halep has rallied past Angelique Kerber to reach the French Open semifinals. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
There is a chance of thunderstorms tonight, and some of those could be severe with locally heavy rainfall. Lows tonight in the 60s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Authorities say a buildup of carbon monoxide gas has killed one person and caused three others to be hospitalized in Lincoln. Police and medics were called to a North Lincoln home around 3 a.m. this morning. Officer Angela Sands says four people found there were taken to a hospital where one of them died. No names been released. The fire battalion chief, Jim Bopp, says a medic's carbon monoxide detector went off at the home. Bopp also says Black Hills energy workers blame the deadly gas buildup on water heater problems. The Senate will remain in session for the majority of August rather than take the scheduled break. That's something Nebraska Senator Ben Sass requested last month. Well, it's obviously important that senators listen to and learn from our constituents back. The Senate doesn't work hard enough, so this is good news. I've been asking Majority Leader McConnell to schedule more votes and to require that senators who say they want to filibuster legislation actually have to show up and make their case. While it's obviously important that senators listen to and learn from our constituents back home, we need to pass a real budget this summer, not yet another pork-filled omnibus. Let's get to work. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he's canceling the Senate's traditional August recess because he wants to pass the annual appropriations bills before the end of fiscal year on September 30th. Not all is lost for senators hoping to take a break. The Republican leader's office says it's expected that senators will be away from Washington during the first full week of August before returning for the rest of the month. Police in Omaha suburbs say they've been unable to find a woman whose husband says he killed her. Bellevue Police Captain Tom Dargy says a 37-year-old man told officers what he'd done after surrendering Tuesday evening. Officers obtained warrants to search the man's home, but they didn't find the woman or her body. The man was arrested on suspicion of second-degree murder. A Kansas man who returned a $1 million lottery ticket to a customer who left it on a store counter says he has no regrets about giving up the prize money. The longtime customer of the Pit Stop convenience store in Salina went to the store in March to check three tickets he bought earlier in Lincoln, Kansas. He accidentally left one of the tickets on the counter. When clerk Andy Paddle realized the ticket was a million-dollar winner, he called Cal Paddle, the son of the store's owners. Cal Paddle knew from the description who the customer was and drove around his neighborhood until he found the man and gave him the ticket. The lucky winner has chosen to remain anonymous. Federal scientists say May... The shift chattered all kinds of heat records in the U.S. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration reported that May's average temperature across the U.S. was 5 degrees warmer than normal and broke the monthly record set in 1934. Storm Center coverage 24-7. Catch it on air, on Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chad Moyer. As about 20,000 people converge on the Iowa State Fairgrounds for the 30th Annual World Pork Expo, trade is the number one issue on pork farmers' minds. Jim Heimerl is the National Pork Producers Council president from Ohio. I guess I was going to come today with Band-Aids on my head, my arms, and everything, but I thought I'd be just a little bit over uh, acting on some of the things. But, of course, it's very important to us of things we've been getting beat up on. As you know, yesterday... Mexico put tariffs on U.S. pork, and that follows a 25% additional duty China levied April 2nd. Those moves were retaliation for U.S. tariffs on steel and aluminum imports. 
Iowa State University economist Dermot Hayes calculated that since March 1st, hog futures have dropped by $18 a head, maybe still falling. That's a $2.2 billion industry loss on an annualized basis. Not all that can be attributed to issues with China, but the friction and the rumors in the market are the main factor. Now with Mexico's action, the toll on the rural America will mount. We need to get this fixed now. Mexico is the number two export market for U.S. pork, and China is number three. We appreciate all the trade issues the administration is balancing, but we're starting to take on water fast. The president said he wouldn't abandon farmers, and we've taken him at his word. But we need this trade dispute to the end now. It's imperative we maintain and expand existing markets and open new ones. Exports are ap absolutely essential to the U.S. pork industry. Last year, our industry exported $6.5 billion, and that's $6.5 billion our industry exported. That represents almost 27% of what we produce in this country, of our total production. That's almost $54 from a price a producer receives for each hog marketed. We understand we're in a new trade environment. The Trump administration is more cautious when it comes to trade agreements and we look to bilateral rather than multilateral deals. Obviously, we remain concerned about renegotiations with NAFTA and who knows what the latest action does for those talks. MPPC is continuing to urge administration to stay in that agreement and ensure that these renegotiated deals maintains a zero tariff rate on our pork exports. We also continue to urge the President to begin talks on bilateral FTAs with Japan, our number one export market. This is particularly important because, one, Japan and EU recently concluded an FTA, and two, Japan expected to finalize the TPP-11 this summer, and of course that's without us. Both will start to erode our market share in that country, and that's why it's important we look for other opportunities to increase U.S. pork exports. We're already doing that. We did just open a Argentina and Paraguay to the U.S. pork exports and South Africa to take more cuts of U.S. pork. We're also looking at places such as Brazil and India, so we're always looking for new opportunities, but we need to make sure we regain the ones we have lost. Reinforcing the sentiment about trade is NPPC Vice President and Council Nick Giordano. Producer leadership and staff have been hard at work with the administration. Yeah, we're concerned about, we're concerned about the 25% punitive tariffs in Mexico, in China, we're concerned about the 10 to escalating potentially 20% tariffs in Mexico. We're concerned about Canada and other retaliation. Having said that, as Jim said, we're working closely with the administration. How many times has the President of the United States, the Secretary of Agriculture, other high-level administration officials said they're not going to leave our farmers out in the cold? And um, it's very painful for us. You know, we're, we're the biggest single sector in the United States that's right now taking it on the chin. And um, I give a lot of credit to pork producers for being very measured and very patient and being willing to wait and give President Trump, Secretary Perdue, um, and other members of the cabinet and, and, and officials who are engaged in these things to get things right. If you'll recall, um, Labor Day, we had a, a near-death experience with the Korean Free Trade Agreement. Um, we were really concerned. And as it turned out, the deal was renegotiated. And, um, you know, as, as 
Bob Lighthizer promised, as the president has been saying, there was no harm done to agriculture. So we're hopeful. Um, you know, the issues with China are complex. We're in a difficult place here with Mexico and Canada. Um, trading partners are unhappy about the steel and aluminum tariffs. But um, we're working closely with the administration. And, you know, our message has been and continues to be this is really hard for producers. And um, we need them to, to come through here, ideally, to um, reach a rapport on trade issues with China, to um, renegotiate the NAFTA in a way that folks are happy, you know, and to navigate these steel and aluminum tariffs. It's, it's an uphill climb. I guess, you know, our message is we're uh, taking water on fast. There's a lot of blood on the floor. But we're giving this administration the benefit of the doubt. And um, they've said repeatedly they're going to work with us. So we're going to work with them. World Pork Expo continues through Friday. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chad Moyer reporting. Next up, we talk with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities on this update in the livestock futures. Joe, what happened? Yeah, once again, we had an update, yeah. Uh, what happened was over in the cattle, uh, you know, the, what little few cattle have traded so far this week are getting a little bit better uh, each day. And uh, we we were having uh, up days in the uh, uh, cutouts, too, but not today. Uh, that kind of halted our rally uh, about mid-session and then uh, late sell-off. But there was some... Uh, Rumors out that uh, one of the uh, packers might be a little short bought, and that really helped us get started on a higher note also. But uh, uh, like I say, near the end of the day, uh, we, we kind of came off our highs, uh, but it was still a positive day. So all in all, uh, both the uh, cattle and the feeders closing higher. Over in the hogs, there's where we really had some, uh, some pretty good strength, and it came from the cutouts being higher and also... Uh, uh, from cash being uh, stronger once again, we even had a uh, the uh, July contract uh, touch limit did not finish there, but uh, triple digit gains right uh, through uh, the majority of the uh, hog contracts. So they were the big uh, winner today, and uh, uh, heading into the end of the week, uh, things look pretty bright for the hogs uh, at this given point in time. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter through the first three days this week, estimated at 356,000. Last week was the holiday week, but it's 1,000 more than the same week one year ago. Hog slaughter projected 1,344,000, 20,000 more than the same week one year ago. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. From the 30th Annual World Pork Expo, I'm Chad Moyer. We heard from the CEO of the National Pork Producers Council, Neil Dierks, this morning. He says despite the challenges in the short term, pork producers are ready for long-term growth. Remember in 1995, we were a net importer of pork. Today, you heard Jim talk about, and last year we exported roughly 27% of our production. Our production of hogs in the United States went from 97 million to the estimates we saw yesterday are going to be about 100. 24.5 million harvested this year. So there's been growth of the industry. That growth took time. And I think a lot of pork producers understand that in spite of the fact yesterday, and I don't know if it was timed yesterday because of Expo happening or not, it certainly gives an opportunity for a lot of 
a lot of media attention in a short period of time. But most pork producers I talk to do have a long view. As one of my board members always said, he goes, yeah, I understand there's there's a specific issue maybe on a container entering an international market, but I've got concrete in the ground, and I've got to have a 25 to 30-year horizon. They understand that in the short term here, and for the medium term possibly, and as we take a look at this uh, impact, the projections, I know the, the cuts, the... Um, the uh, crushes I've seen call for losses by pork producers uh, here into the into the end of the year, into next year. Um, and right now, most pork producers are probably right at break even or below because of the impacts of these markets being impacted. But these kinds of things take time to resolve. For instance, we talk about doing bilateral agreements. We all have to have a perspective here. You don't start on Friday and get done the following Tuesday. They take time. And I think most producers understand that and have a concept of this takes time. It hurts the surprise of getting the duties, particularly since we've spent so much time developing the Mexican market together with uh, the U.S. Meat Export Federation, National Pork Board. We have a lot of great relationships with the trade in, in, in Mexico and others in Mexico because it's serving a purpose with our exports to Mexico. They're feeding their population. Now, as we go forward, there's some pain in Mexico from the people that are also going to impact that, that take our product. But I just want to give a perspective that, right, yeah, the here and now, as we had an announcement yesterday, we've got 10% moving to 5% and other issues that go with it. But this is going to take, most likely, I wish there was a magic wand, but it'll take some time to work through here. That's the next point. Our administration understands that. They've been trying. We know they've been trying because there have been examples that we've seen that they've responded to. But we have to understand this is a long game we're in, and we have to have a, we have to have a long-term view because long-term exports mean opportunity for hog farmers, for rural America. We get a chance, and I don't know if Dustin, you're going to be on a press conference or not, but Dustin's the person that worked with this uh, labor survey. Take a look at the U.S. pork industry. In the last 10 years, the U.S. pork industry employment growth is, is has been averaging 2.7% a year versus the rest of the economy at 2.1%. We're a shining star. You take a look at rural America and unemployment rates, the pork industry is in those, those counties that have lower unemployment rates. Part of the reason is because the industry provides jobs. So while the here and now is, oh, what does this tariff mean? We're all looking for that meaning. We're going to find out as we go along. But at the same time, we're going to keep our foot to the pedal to make sure we get not only these issues resolved, and we're believe me, we're telling the administration that this has to be done, but also looking at other opportunities in the future. From World Pork Expo in Des Moines, Iowa, I'm Chad Moyer on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. As we watched corn and soybeans come under pressure today, but wheat finished higher, at least the winter wheat futures. Let's talk about this with John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So as we move day-to-day here, the weather is going to be an important factor, isn't it? Uh, it's amazing how great things are. You know, the forecast is continuing to point to more moisture, and I think you know, you've got a trade that's a little bit long in the tooth, essentially betting on weather premium being factored in as it's the time that you usually see it. So uh, we're seeing that all extracted at this point and really going out into the, you know, the two-week forecast looking out to next Friday. I mean, we're looking at rain everywhere. I mean, almost everywhere. Now, south, south Nebraska, you know, Hastings there, you guys might have some problems. 
but if you go northeast, you're going to go towards you know northwest Iowa, which is essentially the, maybe rough some feathers here, maybe the best ground in the world. Uh, they're looking at some fantastic moisture uh, really across the whole state of Iowa. I think the problem areas are really going to be along that southern Nebraska border west, uh, pushing it all the way across north north. Uh, Missouri, and then into central Illinois, and all the way over to Indianapolis. That is the area I think that is of concern at this point. But when you open the models and you're looking at a week, two-week forecast, and they're calling for you know four or five inches of rain, anywhere between really high twos and, and low fives inches of rain across everywhere north of Omaha up to Minneapolis, down to Chicago, in that kind of triangle there, the market isn't really going to care about weather. And I think you're seeing just a, a selling here as July comes upon us, delivery. So my thought is. What you're going to probably see is the market stay weak for the next couple of weeks. We'll expire down here, bring a lot of shorts into the market, and then, you know, I mean, I'd like to think that we get some sort of hot, dry snap somewhere, and then the market can pop from there. But uh, at this point, it's taken me a little bit off guard. I would have thought, uh, you know, given the forecast being as hot as they were two weeks ago, that we would have at least held some premium together, but that hasn't been the case. And in wheat, of course, now that harvest has begun, even in southern Kansas, we'll be concerned about those yield reports, quality reports, etc., won't we? Yeah, I mean, it really blows my mind if you told me wheat was, corn was going to be down three today and wheat's going to be up seven to 12, uh, depending on the contract, I would have, I would have pretty much bet against that. It's, it's amazing how quickly uh, the wheat markets can take the leadership here, which I think is good longer term, but I don't like the way we traded really after the midday. I think you're seeing unit trains get filled up. The East Coast harvest is going to start soon, so I would be selling rallies here. Uh, if you can't store it to the September contract, there's a nice hefty carry. You might be able to get 580 for it. So um, I'm patiently bullish with corn, even though we are selling off uh, on the wheat side, I'd be a seller. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Also publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Go to danielsagmarketing.com.